0: When Ryan's when it's time to begin,
1: it's on the rewinder up with John Pollick and waiting, the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewinder up for Monday night, Downloaded Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewinder up for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade, take the mic. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting, a packed edition of the show as usual. Always a lot of news, always a lot to discuss.
0: Wei, how are you? Doing pretty well. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing, I'm doing very well. Okay. Any, any particular reason? Um,
1: I, I had a modern medical miracle, but that's, uh, I've had this issue in my... I was telling you about this last week. I didn't mm-hmm. know how much uh, detail you wanted when I was explaining this to you. But I've had this this pain in, like, the side of my neck. It's, like, not full-on, like, in my throat, but more so to, like, the side. And it's just been this really aggravating issue I've been having. And it's just gotten worse and worse to the point I finally had to see a doctor about it last week. And they had to send me, run all these tests on it. They couldn't detect anything. So... I was kind of in limbo waiting for them to figure what what would be next. And then later in the week, I just – it hit just an ungodly amount of pain that I was in, that I just had to deal with. It was like moving from my neck up to my my ear. It was like this this real bad pain, like this throbbing. It's like, man, I've got to figure out what is wrong here. And Sunday, it finally – like, lessened, and today, 100% gone. Really? Wow. This this has been, like, it's not something that this just arrived, like, a week or so ago. I've been dealing with this for, like, six weeks, and now all of a sudden, after I saw a doctor, it's gone. So I don't know, really, what my next move is. I'm kind of hesitant to declare it's, uh, I've just been miraculously healed, but nothing. There's no issue at all at the moment. So I'm going to... I'm going to cherish my uh my newfound
0: full strength on my 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 health bar. I'm very happy to hear that. I was I was actually a little concerned for a, a time there. So hopefully this lasts. Um hopefully there are no other issues that that pop up. So uh well I'm very happy. Well thank you. That's that's what's going on with me. Nice weather out. Did you
1: did you venture outside today?
0: Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, yeah, I headed out to to Scarborough to visit my parents and okay. uh, had some uh, lunch with them. Watch some PWG at their place. So, do you uh, always do this when you visit your parents? <laughs> always, yeah. It's a daily routine. They sit down with me. We pop in old PWG from six years ago. <laughs> well, that's a
1: great, great time period. So it's uh you know you could probably catch up with them or watch a little Total Bellas and then right into Receda, California.
0: Uh, that would be a dream trip. Yes, the family well, down to the down to Receda to see PWG.
1: Well, this is one episode of Rewind Away that I know that uh, Way's parents will be definitely downloading. I know they listen all the time to all of our shows, but this one I think they'll be just ready for. Way. Maybe Way gave them an advanced copy, um, perhaps. Oh, they've already uh, seen it. They it before I did. Oh, okay. Well, then we're we're really just uh, trying to catch up. So your parents can hear our review of it, which will be coming out Tuesday night with the review of PWG Eleven from July of 2014, which may as well be a generation ago in professional wrestling. It kind of is, but a lot of uh, a lot of important players that are in the current scene uh, all congregating at the American Legion Post, highlighted by. One of the more famous matches in PWG history, a guerrilla warfare match with the Young Bucks defending the PWG tag titles against Joey Ryan and Candice LeRae. Plus, we have Kevin Steen's farewell to PWG right before he would head off to NXT. Kyle O'Reilly defending the Evolved Championship against Chris Hero. We've got Tommaso Ciampa versus Rocky Romero. ACH versus Cedric Alexander. Uh, Quite the show that we will be reviewing
0: Tuesday night on the Post Wrestling Cafe. It's basically um, if you ever you know if you're watching NXT, if you're watching AEW, watching a bit of RAW, and if you said to yourself, "Man, wouldn't it be great if there was like a an All Star show featuring the best people from all of these companies?" That's basically what this PWG show from six years ago was.
1: Yes, and that will be uh, coming out on Tuesday night. So look forward to that, uh, as selected by our Espresso executive producer Tyler Crane uh, later on this week. We've got uh, Wednesday, returning here to the post office, our good friend Cody Safdick is going to be here, as the two of uh, us are going to be going over UFC 248 this weekend and catching up on all the latest MMA news that has been occurring. We'll talk a bit about uh, Joseph Benavides. what a disaster for the flyweight division this past weekend, why? Sounds like it, yeah. Everything that could go wrong did, so we'll uh, we'll talk about that with our good friend Cody. And then Wednesday night, we've got rewind to dynamite and up next dropping from Brayden Harrington and Davey Portman Thursday. It's the cafe hangout at three o'clock PM Eastern time. Way and I will preview elimination chamber and who knows what else will be on that show. We'll be taking lots of your phone calls Friday. We've got a new British wrestling experience as Martin, Benno, and Jamesy will be looking ahead to WXW's 16-karat gold tournament that Benno is traveling to this coming weekend in Germany, and they're going to chat about a whole host of topics from the recent NXT UK show, uh, sorry, the upcoming one in uh, Dublin, the Choice of Location, uh, the recent Progress show, lots and lots of stuff on the show. Andy Ogden will be on the program as well, so lots to check out on Friday, and then Friday Nightway it's gonna be you solo on rewind to Smackdown
0: yes that's right Friday night I'll be here uh John is going to have the uh day off because he'll be doing stuff this weekend is that right
1: yes UFC show on Saturday night with Phil so yeah. this so, is me
0: invoking my uh I- I'm Bill Goldberg
1: doing that I'm, I'm doing a part-time schedule here
0: this weekend it'll be the go home show to Elimination chamber and I look forward to talking about it with
1: all of you and uh, as I mentioned, the UFC 248 post show, that'll be up Saturday night with myself and Phil running through that card. And then Sunday, new episode of Thunderstruck as WH Park will be joined by Davis Storm, the, the pride of Australia. And he is going to be uh, chatting about Jushin Thunderlager Koji Kenamoto with WH from February of 1997. That's on deck uh, this coming weekend. And Sunday night, Elimination Chamber post show, Way and I will be going live for Double Double Plus patrons right after the show. And what is really the last major show from WWE before WrestleMania and maybe a clearer picture of uh, more of the card coming out of Sunday. And what kind of show we get on Sunday. I I can't say tonight was the uh, Elimination Chamber felt um, one of the most prominent things on the show. But nonetheless, we have a card on Sunday.
0: Something will happen. Something will happen and we'll be here to talk about it. So as John said, that'll be live for Double Double Plus patrons, but free to listen to afterwards for everybody else as usual. All right. All of uh that can be found at postwrestling.com with our schedule, all of our
1: shows, and it's the beginning of the month. So if you sign up for the Post Wrestling Cafe, uh, you get your most value by signing up at the beginning of the month. Six dollars a month gets you all of our bonus shows and uh and a discount if you're coming to Tampa for WrestleMania weekend because we have our post wrestling. Live in Tampa, Q&A show happening the day of WrestleMania at the Art Institute of Tampa, just minutes away from Raymond James Stadium. We're going to be doing a Q&A, uh, a meet and greet afterwards, and all tickets include uh, both the Q&A and the meet and greet uh, as well. We have a VIP option and $5 off for all patrons. That's postwrestling.com slash live for all of that information. All right, let's go into some news because there is quite a bit of it today. Let's start off with Matt Hardy. He officially became a free agent over the weekend, put out a video today uh, acknowledging the fact that he was in fact a free agent and was very complimentary towards WWE to the point that he feels very confident at some point he will be back in WWE if it's the Hall of Fame and didn't even rule out the idea that he could end up back in WWE from all this. But he's uh, looking at all of his options and pretty much listed off all potential landing spots uh of different companies that he could be going to and summed it up that him and wwe are just on different pages creatively and that's obviously a huge influence for him at this point is having that kind of creative output in his last remaining years he's throwing out a figure of three to four years he has left as an active in-ring competitor he's 45 years old now um i think certainly most people are looking first and foremost at AEW is the most realistic spot for him to go, but um, we'll see what's next for him. He has added a date with um, uh, the big event uh, in New York this coming weekend. So he's set to make an appearance there, but it's kind of a wait and see mode for Matt Hardy. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, what, what did you think about uh, the handling here? Because WWE also put out a story today acknowledging his retirement is, uh, or sorry, his contract expired and, and, were very, very complimentary. I mean, this was like the Dean Ambrose treatment of uh, seeing a guy out.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's always nice to leave on on good terms, you know, uh, if if the separation is amicable. It's, uh, I mean, you, one would assume that, you know, Matt Hardy not resigning with him is because he um, didn't accept an offer, and I would assume that that offer was very generous that the WWE gave him, that he turned down. So from all accounts, it seems like from Matt Hardy's side, He's probably quite flattered with an offer, but didn't want to take it for whatever reason. And um it it's always very nice to be able to keep those bridges alive, of course, because I'm sure um he will need them at some point later on in his career. So um it, it, it was I wish more people kind of took that stance and like just left on solid terms, uh seemingly publicly. I think what what's interesting about this one is that I feel like because it's Matt Hardy you never know if he's just gonna show up again um, <laughs> next week on Raw, but um, I would say this with the combination of the WWE article, I feel like it would be a little too much, and it's also like Matt Hardy would be looking really bad. I think he would be really like you know fucking over a good deal of the fan base if he just showed up. But then again, I mean th- it's not the first time the guy said he was gonna go to ROH in that or, or, or in that uh, uh, Edge feud. Um, coming back to WrestleMania, he was, you know, the, the Hardys were lying to everybody before that, before they showed up at WrestleMania most recently. So, uh, I guess nothing's really completely off the table. Although I feel like with this one it might be safe to assume that he's not coming back.
1: It, it is, um, you know, it, this is a guy that he's obviously like he's, he's saved his money and can, you know, there's not a lot of people I would imagine that can walk away from a big, WWE offer there's very few of them that's why you know John Moxley is such an exception and Matt Hardy here he's clearly like this is something very important to him to be able to go elsewhere I, I would look at it that to me it's I, I would just see I would be so stunned if he went anywhere but like to me it's WWE or AEW I would be so surprised to see him anywhere else for any sustained period of time to me if you're leaving WWE it's got to be somewhat of a lateral move when it comes to just exposure relevance and somewhere that you can still make a a good amount of money, which AEW you can.
0: Tony Khan was asked about Matt Hardy in a scrum after revolution over the weekend. And he said no comment. And I think, you know, obviously it helps him the fact that there's some, uh, uh, mystery as to, you know, who the exalted one is and the storyline that he's building. But at the same time, if it wasn't Matt Hardy, he could have just said it's not Matt Hardy to avoid people being disappointed. So um, maybe there's. But that there. that that's the old
1: adage where they deny it, and that's supposed to be oh, that means he's coming in, <laughs> and that's what people would totally be saying. He could have said anything, okay? Exactly. And I think exactly. People You're would in still a no win as Tony Khan in those situations where I mean, what what are you going to say? You could be truthful, or it, remember, CM Punk could not have been more clear; he was not showing up
0: at all out and. What did everyone say? It's like, <laughs> of course, yeah. there he is. He's coming in. <laughs> you know, the mystery is fun. The guessing game is fun. Let's just, you know, enjoy it. And he shows up wherever he shows up. Yep. Okay. This great Muda story. This oh, is God. something else.
1: So this was, uh, maybe this I, is I, all a ploy too. Huh? I mean, I don't think anyone, one. No, no one could map this out. Um, I, I think, uh, uh, unless maybe Sonny Ono is going to be the exalted one. <laughs> so game changer put out this update on Monday. Because it was months ago that they announced uh, Keiji Muto, the great Muto, appearing for Spring Break 4 coming up WrestleMania weekend. And they put out the, this long statement. And, and the long and short of it is that they reached a deal with Muto back in, I believe it was November. And it was two separate deals that they reached. One was to appear at Spring Break, and the other was to appear on behalf of Game Changer at WrestleCon. So in late December, Sonny Ono reaches out to them and states that he will now be handling everything to do with muda and pretty much he's putting himself in in the middle of this whole situation and they're gonna have to deal with him and he ha- is going to look for additional work for mudo that weekend while he's in Tampa. So GCW kind of goes along with this and then Ono explains that well, I have another vendor that's going to use him at WrestleCon, and that's that's what we're going to do. And GCW says, okay, well, they they kind of had this deal for WrestleCon. They said, well, then this vendor is going to have to share some of the cost involved in travel and accommodation. And Ona was taken aback by this, that this notion that GCW isn't going to just foot the bill for all of the, the cost. So... GCW did – and I should preface, this is all GCW's side. Sonny mm-hmm. Ono has not spoken here, and I, I think that is worth mentioning here that there are you – know, you, you do want to hear his side to this story as well. But Ono eventually, per, per, like after being called on it, he was the vendor at WrestleCon and – I told you he's the exalted one. He – yeah, it was me, GCW. It was me all along. And this has led to this big breakdown where GCW alleges that messages they don't believe are even being passed to Muto at this point. They are highly skeptical that a deal will even now um, take place where they're not expecting Muto to be at spring break unless something can be rectified. And then they added in that Sonny Ono had made a bunch of requests as well in the lead up to this that Muto would also require four nights at a Disney hotel in Orlando. And if you're staying at a Disney hotel, you will also need four four four-day park hopper passes to Disney parks, a 12.5% commission fee for Sonny Ono, four skybox seats to WrestleMania in Tampa, along with transportation to and from Orlando uh, and Tampa. So, some other promoters have also chimed in with with their past dealings with Sonny Ono, and the long and short of it is that it looks like, unless some uh, amicable resolution is met, that it doesn't look like Great Muda is going to be at Spring Break, and GCW is seeking a replacement that meets the fans' expectations. Um, I, I, to be honest, like there was a time when this may have really affected like a Spring Break. I think spring break at at this point, they're not going to, like, there is not going to be anyone that's going to be seeking refunds because Muda is not here. I think you are going there for the experience. This is a hiccup in the whole thing, but uh, I really don't see this drastically affecting fan interest in in spring break. I think this is going to be one of the hot shows of the weekend, and this does not change that fact.
0: Oh, not at all. Not for me. I mean, to be honest, I wasn't really looking forward to seeing Muda. I think whatever context like Janela would have placed him in might have been interesting. But as an in-ring talent, um, I feel like I've seen enough of him recently to know that I, 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 not to expect that much anyway. So for me personally, not that, not that big of a loss at all. And I think ultimately, um, you know, it's hard to say what Muda's role was was in in all this. You know, if it if Sunny Ono um, was somebody who just came on board afterwards, like let me just say this: what if 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 everything GCW says is true, like this just sounds like like you know one of those like Craigslist scams. That like <laughs> respond to this message and send me this money, send me tickets, and then uh, I'll I you know I'll 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 help you or something like that. Like that's ridiculous. Look,
1: look, for, for, for for the like honest promoters out there, like there's no one I have greater sympathy for that this like dealing with this stuff. I just I couldn't imagine it. I could not imagine just putting in like investing so much of my time and my money and stuff like this happens. Um, you know. You know, you, you hear a lot less of these stories, at least publicly, like it's stuff like this, it happens, but it seems like not to the degree of, you know, the era of, you know, yesteryear, but nonetheless, this is, uh,
0: just, just headaches
1: that are,
0: you know, unfortunately unavoidable. And, you know, like in this day and age, I think it, it's really silly for somebody to think that they'd be able to get away with it without being blasted on the internet. Like Sonny Odo, if, again, if this is all true, um, has, in this case, and it's made him obviously look terrible. It's made Muda look terrible. Okay, if he if he's somewhat attached to this in any way, um, and it does not hurt Spring Break at all. In fact, I think it just drives more attention to it because I'm sure they'll announce somebody who will just be who'll be that much more interesting, and it'll just be that big, that much bigger of a con contra- that much more controversial, and that much more legendary of an event. Um Yeah, so we'll see see what the the follow up is uh, to this story. Uh,
1: Jun Akiyama is going to be going to the WWE Performance Center in May, from May 12th to 22nd, and All Japan uh, confirmed that he would be going over. Now, Tokyo Sports has reported that uh, Akiyama and Paul Levesque uh, first began talking back in June, and they are putting out the idea, Tokyo Sports, that this could ultimately be, you know, there could be some smoke to to this whole story that, all Japan and WWE having some kind of working uh, relationship in all of this, which, I mean, is is not a far-fetched idea from all of this. If you look at WWE, that's kind of looking at a Japanese partner and All Japan, maybe a candidate.
0: Yeah, we shall see. I mean, um, financially, how is All Japan doing?
1: I mean, All Japan, I mean, it's not as though they are um, – they're very small in comparison, especially to like the glory years and in comparison to uh, New Japan, let's say, you know, not at the level of Noah, um, even at this point, or certainly not Dragon Gate, but they've got a really great product with a lot of tremendous talent. I really enjoy watching all Japan's big shows, but I mean, in the grand
0: scope of things, they are a small company. I feel like you know whatever they do. Let's say let's say there is any sort of deal with a Japanese company. I feel like they're going to have to be incredibly sensitive. I mean, especially com- because it's Japan, and especially because of all the negative, mm, I would say, sentiment they built up with the entire UK thing. Um, they're going to have to go in. I think with like to to imagine if WWE took over all Japan Pro Wrestling and rebranded it WWE Japan. You know the amount of people that would just turn on it from the get-go just simply based off that off of that name alone you know to like just wipe away the legacy of all japan pro wrestling with the wwe name that would freak a lot of people out if i think if it's something like a partnership with new japan i assume that it would be i hope at least it would just be sort of a more superficial all japan pro wrestling partnering with wwe and not any sort of quote-unquote takeover no pun intended
1: yeah, and I mean, it It would follow the trend that we have seen of, you know, Japanese companies that are being purchased by, you know, these these large companies that can, pr- pretty much these giant parent companies from, you know, with New Japan, with Bushi Road, Cyber Agent owning Noah, you know, you like Stardom Now in the mix as well, being purchased by Bushi Road. It would, like, follow that trend of these companies that realize that we have to have you know a large company backing us and that is what WWE would represent to them but how would the public take to uh WWE um coming in and you know culturally yeah. what kind of um pushback they would receive certainly.
0: the difference is you know all those companies that you mentioned are are now owned by other japanese companies and it's i i think the the it would look very different um i mean if it was <laughs> Like I still have to think. Like, why does why does WWE want in on Japan so bad? You think Riddick Moss and the Champion Carnival? God. But like, what really is it is in it for them? You know. Like, I know in the UK they initially went there to stop World of Sport, uh, or at least partially, you know, to combat that. Uh, certainly, I can't see them. Like, I don't think going into UK was really to farm talent. Because none of that talent has made its way over here. They have more talent than they ever need. Um, what what what's in it for them to get Japan?
1: I I think that it would like I, I would not be that that high on like, yes, it's it's more like WWE planting its flag in another part of the world. But I mean you look at NXT UK and it's like look at the years it's taken for them to get on to traditional television in that market with, with that product it, it took them three years in Japan I mean like new Japan was just able to get a primetime slot on Friday night and look, look at like the the difference in market share that new Japan has there I mean to me it's the television money to me is 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 that really going to pay off for the amount of resources you're going to have to put into another satellite company that yes it may be you may be able to just you know, it it runs on its own because you've got the infrastructure in place, but what are you necessarily buying and what is the ultimate value that you're getting out of this? Like I see it from all Japan's perspective of having that security and having that, that kind of financial backing that a WWE presents Uh, for WWE. I just look at all the different avenues to address at this moment with your, your business. I, I don't know if, I'm in, like, spending mode right now to go dedicate resources to another par- part of the world um, at-, at this point. And-, and I think, like, WWE getting into Japan, I think that that's-, that's hardly a guaranteed success. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it makes sense from that perspective. I think Japan is that much tougher of a market for them to crack into. Um, could it just be a guest spot for Junakiama? Maybe that's it. Well, again, like, this is, you know... Tokyo sports is not stating this is
1: you know a done deal. Um, they did get a a quote from the uh, president of all Japan who was kind of vague about it that um, he pretty much said, I've I haven't decided on anything. But I mean, it, it didn't shut down the story either. Um, and, and this may ultimately be I mean, more so it's just looking at, OK, Junakiyama is going over there. But what are how, how deep are these talks beyond this? And if they started um, Akiyama and Paul Levesque speaking back in, in June I mean who else are being who else are in these conversations and, and what is being discussed so there there is a lot of speculation to this that ultimately may not turn into anything as maybe, well
0: maybe Triple H is just geeking out he just wants to like you know hear Kobashi and Masawa stories that that could be it yeah um, yeah asking them about the their library Well, I wonder if like John Laurinaitis will be a part of all that
1: he could. Maybe maybe he gets sent over to, to all Japan and revives his uh, his fame over there.
0: Yeah, who knows. Uh,
1: there's this project that's being launched uh, called Kayfabe. It's this new uh, pilot series uh, that's being led by Gail Kim, Christy Hemi, and, uh, and Lita, Amy Dumas. And they have launched a Kickstarter. And did you get a chance to watch this trailer, Wei? Did not watch the trailer, no. So it's this new, like, female-based wrestling series that they describe as 50% story, 50% in-ring action. Uh, and the description here, it is an edgy, racy, cinematic television series about a female-led professional wrestling startup that shows a dramatization and collection of female stories inspired by real-life events. Now, if you watch the trailer, this is a, like, highly produced trailer. Um, it features a uh, Carly Perez, who you'd remember as... Um, uh, what's her name from uh Lucha Underground? It was uh the character with uh Katrina in Lucha Underground. Um, so she looks to be the star here of this thing. Uh, other people involved with this on the creative end are uh, Jimmy Jacobs, uh, David Sahadi, Chavo Guerrero Jr., and uh, several others. So they've launched this Kickstarter, and it it's a very ambitious Kickstarter. They are looking to raise four hundred thousand dollars U.S. ...for the pilot episode, and then they have stretch goals that go all the way up to $4.8 million to fund a eight-episode season. Uh, now, this just launched on Monday night, and they're at uh, almost $37,000 uh,
0: US. So they've Jesus, gotten that's, off... That's incredible to me. Well... I mean, I know it's really far from Nicole, the goal, the, but the fact that they even got to that amount is insane to well, me. Well, the key to getting to that,
1: they have two backers that pledge $10,000 each. Now, oh, I'm going to okay. I'm going to take a educated guess that those are not just average fans that are donating $10,000. You would imagine those people have some vested interest in this whole thing. So, it's you take out that, it's a lot of like low numbered like you know, le- lesser pledges obviously. Um it's a huge amount to try and hit. It's a very well done trailer, and I think that the concept it seemed to have been met very positively from people that have seen it. I would have to hope that you know if they don't meet their their goal, which they they have to fund this by April seventh in order for the the funding to go through. I would think they're ultimately looking for investors for this thing so that this thing can see the light of day. It sounds like it's been something that's been planned. Um, for, for a long period of time they've been developing this it's a very professional looking you know kickstarter with a breakdown of costs the the production is very high end um but yeah this is it's a very ambitious project if it's just relying on on fans i think this is ultimately going to need significant in investment behind it
0: yeah good luck to them cuz um i don't know wrestling I mean, like, uh, wrestling and Kickstarter can often, like, result in great things. Like, look at uh, what Chris Charlton's done. But I'm just reminded of the Wrestling Retribution Project. Um, that it that is... what comes a TV series, you yeah. know? It's very different from, like, releasing a book. Like, when you're talking about amounts that high, um, I feel like you, you kind of... You certainly have to have um, a track record. And these people certainly do, but do they have... A, uh, I guess like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical, but I haven't even seen the trailer yet. So maybe I should say.
1: Yeah. It's, um, you know, it, it looks like a, a cool idea, but it's one that I, I think people, even that many years ago have those, uh, memories of wrestling retribution project, which actually did get shot and just, it was, it was never released. Just never, nothing happened of that. And that was over eight years ago that that thing went down. Um, I remember that uh, Friday night SmackDown. We had uh, the number was a uh, two, just over 2.6 million viewers, 2,687,000 viewers. So their their third best number uh, since SmackDown moved to Fox last fall, um, built around the return of John Cena. Um, were you surprised this number did so well, or did you think that the John Cena return was, was pushed very
0: effectively? I think that, you know, the title change after uh, SmackDown, um, yeah, uh, several several items.
1: Uh, after that, we ha- also have some new WrestleMania week matches to announce, Way, uh, Are you ready for some of these matches that are happening WrestleMania week? On April 2nd, it's going to be low-key against Zack Sabre Jr. at the Mark Hitchcock Memorial Super Show. The following day, April 3rd, at the For the Culture show that uh, GCW is promoting, Two Cold Scorpio versus Sugar Dunkerton. Cool. I don't know it's who a, Sugar Dr. 10 is. Uh, oh, a guy that's been around for, for quite a bit. Um, and Too Cold Scorpio. I mean, that's, uh, I think this is going to be a really entertaining show. I think it's going to be one of the the shows that certainly gets a lot of attention that weekend.
0: Yeah, I think we're planning on going, aren't we?
1: Yes. Yes, uh, we are. Uh, and then Black Label Pro is running the Friday night at midnight, also at the Cuban Club. And they have added way Nick Gage
0: versus Stefan Bonner. Wow. Okay. Um I mean, listen, like I I feel like to really draw attention these days at during WrestleMania weekend, you have to be putting on a bunch of what the fuck matches, it seems. At least, you know, that seems to be like part of GCW's um uh game plan. Um and that is certainly a bit of a what the fuck match. It's not I don't is it is it really a match that makes you go, "Wow, what the fuck? I have to see it." Or is it just what the fuck? Um you know, it's 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 probably gonna be wild. I I think, you know,
1: Stefan Bonner is uh he's pretty out there. So this is uh this is the same show that has Tom Lawler against Haku. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. It's gonna be a lot of weird stuff this uh that weekend. And then uh on the Saturday night at the ROH Super Card of Honor show, they've announced Flip Gordon will challenge the ROH champion, uh, whoever comes out of the anniversary card with Roosh versus Mark Haskins. So those are some of the latest WrestleMania week announcements uh, coming up as we're just five weeks away from WrestleMania week. And the last thing here um, was that the fight network put out a new diary episode uh, profiling Tessa Blanchard. And what was notable about this episode was the fact that this was filmed over hard to kill weekend. This was set up around Tessa Blanchard's title win over Sammy Callahan. And that's definitely the focus of this episode. But of course that was the weekend when All of the allegations were made public towards Tessa Blanchard, the accusations of using the N-word, of bullying tactics. Um, So this was, you know, a weekend where, I mean, I was very curious to see this episode and to see how much or how little of that um, made its way into this episode. I definitely did not think that Tessa Blanchard was going to be placed in any kind of negative light, but in terms of, Just watching this episode, for me, um, it's never really addressed other than, you know, Tommy Dreamer alludes to what she's going through that weekend, but they don't actually spell it out. There's a shot where you can see of Tessa Blanchard uh, breaking down and crying in the background uh, in in a dressing room. But again, it's if you didn't know what the story was, you would you would have no idea. And to me, it was just such a big elephant in the room that i was watching this entire episode a- acknowledging and i just think that it it had to be brought up in some way uh even if it was just simply um you know tessa's side of it or whatever it is to me it was um that to me was a glaring part of this episode
0: well again um we should say that we've worked with the people that produce these in the past uh i'm very good friends with george bosa And I've I've done shoots with him. And I can tell you from experience that I think a lot of the intent behind this type of production is to be a fly on the wall and not necessarily, you know, um, I suppose, like, play journalist. Um, Especially, you have to consider, this is pretty much like a, and it's an anthem-produced show. It's an impact-produced, you know, supplementary program, much like a WWE Network special is. So I personally didn't really expect all that much. And I also don't even know how much would have taken place during the day. You know, I feel like what you saw was like, I would, I would expect to be a pretty, I don't know, it seemed to me a pretty faithful, I think, replication of like, what took place during the day, because I I doubt that Tessa was really talking about it with everybody. It seemed to be like um, she was. Trying to block it out of her head during the day so that she could prepare for this very big match that the promotion has built up to uh, after several months, and um, I I kind of felt like the challenge over the course of the episode was to show how she was able to basically kind of mentally prepare while all this other noise was going on on Twitter and and all around her. Um, I feel like, I mean it, it's it's kind of weird like watching it without knowing the full story of exactly what happened now that now that these allegations are out there i feel like there there isn't really any sort of resolution so it's a it's a it's an episode and it really was a day on that impact heart to kill show that celebrated tessa blanchard and, and you know using tessa blanchard as sort of this like great you know um uh you know uh symbol of equality a uh, great symbol of progress in in you know uh women's um wrestling uh women's equality in sports even um that's how it was treated so with with all that other news like kind of like circling the air it it definitely kind of made the viewing a little bit strange um at the same time i think it offered what seemed to be a pretty faithful glimpse of exactly what was happening back there and that's for Impact, this was supposed to be a big day. It was supposed to be a big celebration. Tessa had, you know, a lot of pressure to live up to that story and to live up to that match. And then afterwards, you got to see, you know, a real familial ass. Uh, I, I found a uh, vibe with an impact of people being there to, you know, show their support. Like, the more gives like a big speech to her at the end. Um, her boyfriend, Daga, uh, obviously, uh, you know, alluding to, I think, a lot of um, the pressures that she was facing again like without knowing really what the full story is and i don't even know if we ever will um it's hard to like fully be behind that story but i i felt that at least to me that's what was presented and the allusions to i think like the story in sort of like subtle terms to me was what i con- the level of like you know discussion that i was expecting see the, the one side of me looks at it that here was
1: a much better forum than issuing a statement on twitter for tessa to address it in her words and even if it was something where it's uh, an interview they do with her removed from this weekend where obviously it's it's a very chaotic time and it could at least address it because as you've mentioned like the story is not fully known like we have seen you know we've seen like Multiple accusations. We've heard Tessa's statement. It's kind of in this weird limbo phase, um, and, and that's what I, I think that this could have been at least utilized for Tessa to at least uh, put words and a kind of um, a human reaction to the story. Now, the other side, I, I mean, I, looks I, just, at it, I don't
0: think they were thinking that big for this project. You know, I think this was like just meant to be a like a I, her I, I her think name. there's
1: no way that that was not the dominant dominant story. Of that weekend for that entire company. Well, of course, of course it was,
0: but I don't think this project was was really there. They weren't intending on this diary episode to be their forum to address that for her, nor do I know if they even have any say, because it's, I mean, they seem to be treating it like it's her personal issue. I don't know if impact has said anything about it.
1: Well, that, that brings me to my next topic is that, you know, impact made the decision that weekend. We're going ahead with our plans. um, Despite this, this negative publicity. And we're just going to ride it out. And here we are, um, you know, almost two months removed from it. And I've got to say, did Impact make the wrong decision? Like, they – what kind of harm have they done to themselves by just sticking to their plan, moving forward? I think in time, I do feel Tessa Blanchard, this story is going to uh, – she will have to revisit it at some point. But for Impact, I can't even necessarily say that just ignoring it is their like a bad option for them because it's not like it's this prevalent story that's been that people are still talking about these many weeks
0: removed from that. There's also not that much discussion to be had, you know, it's not like we have like any more, more like morsels of information that have come out. I mean, that's just sort of like the nature of like news and, and you know, um, I, the thing is, okay, let's say they, they didn't put the belt on her kept the belt on Sammy Callahan. I feel like that would have even like raised more uh, red flags because I think by all accounts, if you watch like the stories, if you say like, you know how many matches it's been in this feud, it was all meant to lead up to her winning the belt. And I feel like if impact didn't do that, it would, it would clearly be a decision made based on these remarks. And I don't know exactly what was going on back there. Like that day, I imagine, I wonder if this was even like considered, but it just seemed like at least watching this everybody was just trying to block that stuff out to to put the show on um i yeah i mean this far later i mean i would argue that things are different like i don't know if people are celebrating tesla as sort of this like you know uh the, the this person that needs to be signed by like wwe or AEW like you know this person who really is bringing back women's wrestling uh the better version of becky lynch i'm not really hearing that discussion anymore no and and that all did cool
1: off after this weekend and that you know that's the thing this this episode it opens up like this is this historic groundbreaking moment and and i don't think that's how the audience it, treated it yeah and yeah, you're yeah right coming out of it rem- remember before that weekend like and, and for weeks leading up to that it's not the biggest story in wrestling, but there was lots of like, you know, when, when Tessa Blanchard's contract is up and will impact be able to retain her. And I like that to me, that, that will be interesting when her contract is up. Like what is the demand for Tessa Blanchard? Is she removed from this? And yeah, I, I think it, it certainly has cooled off that, that aspect of things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know like if you're if you're tuning into this to to see some sort of like uh big maybe like uh, her answer to everything that's going on i think you'll be disappointed uh but but i think as you know just the behind the scenes glimpse of like the the show what was leading up to it and maybe you know with sort of the subtext of all this in the background as she's going through with it i thought it was still like it was very well produced you know like since i worked there these guys have gotten so much better like albert Uh, Alex like they their shooting is great and George's editing is just fantastic so on that alone I would recommend it but don't I I wouldn't recommend it if you're expecting any answers for the controversy
1: no I and I I do want to like mention the positives of this like it is a very well-produced uh series I've said in the past like I enjoy these a lot more than the the day of's they're just like you mentioned like a fly on the wall and you really do feel those here it's not it, it feels um Like, you're really just catching these people with more of their, um, in most cases, like, honest thoughts and reaction to things. And, like, they're very, very well produced as well. Um, If you can remove, like, the overarching, like, the elephant in the room, which is what I can best describe, like, some of the people that they get on camera at those moments, like, uh, Tessa's mother and Daga, as you mentioned, and just catching Scott DeMora's words to Tessa right afterward... um, you know, they, they they have some very compelling things that they caught on film for this as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you can check that out. Um, they have it on the uh, the Impact Wrestling uh, YouTube channel. So let's get into Raw. Um, that was a lot that we uh, went into uh, news-wise. But tonight, Raw was taking place from Brooklyn, New York at the Barclays Center. And kicking things off for us was... Oh, dear. My Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. That's who they are. I'm not familiar with these (laughs) two. Lesnar and Heyman come out. Heyman calls this the most stacked WrestleMania in decades. But the main event is a sham. He said, they want to sell you on Drew McIntyre. He's a fraud and goes over why it was a fluke that he eliminated Brock after he was kicked in the testicles. And you fans are a bunch of Pavlovian dogs. And Drew cannot pin Lesnar. He cannot submit him. Drew is a stupid big bitch that is going to get squashed at WrestleMania. Drew comes out and he gets right into Lesnar's face. Brock is laughing him off, points to the sign. He's not doing this here and then runs at Drew and gets nailed with the Claymore place goes nuts for this. Drew exits. The crowd starts chanting. You deserve it at Brock. as he lays there. Lesnar makes his way up the ramp. The crowd's singing goodbye. Drew comes back, hits him with a second Claymore, and then the taboo. He grabs the title and holds it up. Gets a big response here.
0: Drew looks so badass here, you know?
1: And this crowd reacted big to him as, you know, the the guy that's going to conquer Lesnar.
0: I I thought this was an excellent week for for the elevation of Drew McIntyre. You know, after, like, weeks of, like, those squash matches and promos about countdowns, like... None of it was more effective than this. He just walks out here, intimidates Brock Lesnar, gets Brock Lesnar to back up, and then lays him out without saying a word, and then does it two more times. Like, coming out and, and reattacking a beaten victim is usually Brock's shtick. And you know, what, like, remember, like, anytime, anytime that happens, Brock Lesnar goes to the back and then comes back out, suplexes the guy again. Like, what happens? The crowd cheers him like he's a babyface, right? But this time, they actually allow a babyface to do it to Brock Lesnar. So it was just as effective, uh, except this time it was actually helpful. And uh, very simple, very fantastic. Last week, the interview was great. And I thought this week was a great physical follow-up for Drew. In total, it was three Claymores he hit him with because
1: he came back another time on the top of the ramp and dares Lesnar to doubt him at WrestleMania. Just a very good use of both men here. And with Drew McIntyre, I mean... I I think they've handled him very well. And, you know, if you disagree with that, the audience disagrees with you because every week he is he is getting the desired response. And it it, like he feels like a big baby face going into WrestleMania. And it's been a while that they've had a baby face that you've that the audience really feels that it feels like the audience is behind this guy. And you certainly see the company is all behind this guy, too. And it's very rare that those are in concert with one another.
0: I, I really like the current, like, more serious trajectory that they have Drew on. I really could use less of the Countdown Claymore guy. Like, the guy who's out there to just, like, you know, host a birthday party for, like, the fans. I don't need that guy. I want this four. guy. Four. Yeah. Four. Three, I, two, I seriously one. think that's his influence. Who? Four. Why? Like, that type of humor? Go go watch Thor Ragnarok. Oh, are you su- suggesting that you've
1: seen Thor Ragnarok? I have watched Thor Whoa. Ragnarok, and this is this is Tyco YTT's influence on WWE programming. It's Drew McIntyre, dude. Mm-hmm. The, the,
0: Drew is like in that in that opening scene. I I I know where you're coming from, but I I would disagree only in that I think when you're in Taika, in a Taika Waititi movie, you're not being scripted with your promos. The guy. I'm not saying he's
1: his equal. I'm saying that Thor character is somehow of an influence on
0: this Drew McIntyre. Oh, like, the joking ass-kicker. Uh, well, I mean, maybe it works for some people, because clearly this audience gets behind him. I mean, the type of humor that... It... He's no Chris Hemsworth, let me just say. If he gets his hair cut and loses an eye, then you
1: have to admit I was right.
0: <laughs> sure. Okay.
1: So, uh, it's Thor versus Thanos at WrestleMania. And... Yeah, I I thought this was this was maybe the most effective Drew Angle we've had since the Rumble. Mhm. Seth Rollins and Murphy versus The Street Profits in a now or never match for the Raw tag titles. Did they explain why they have a rematch for the titles? Nope. It's just now or never um because they lost on Thursday, so their second ever challenge for these titles, it's now or never. <laughs> Fuck.
0: Fuck whatever. Shit. Like, you know, like how, um, like basically this is the Cody stipulation against Jericho. If they don't win the titles, they'll never be able to challenge for him again. Absolutely. I'm sure. I'm sure. Except that took like a month to build up to. And this was 10 minutes. Did you watch the road to Denver? No.
1: Cody breaks down like his decision to get the tattoo. We've got footage
0: of him getting the tattoo. God. Wow. Okay. Oh, man. I, I have not think- heard so much, like, criticism of, like...
1: Okay, wait a minute. The criticism, one of the most prominent critiques of this decision, is Brandy Rhodes.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, she's allowed to. But, man, I've not seen so much criticism about what somebody cho- choos- chooses to do with their own body in quite some time.
1: I mean, it doesn't bother me. I think everyone's going to be used to this tattoo
0: by... Next week, it's the dude's body. You could do whatever the fuck he wants. Like he wants to cut it in a stupid, sh- his hair in a stupid shape. He can. He could. T- people wants it. He wants to tattoo his face. Let the man do it. Why do like who? who why why do we even deserve an opinion? I mean, that's that's kind of what they ask of you every week on TV. Not about We're- what the the guy looks like, but I guess I guess uh, sure. Why not? So this tag
1: match, Montez Ford cuts a promo. Um, They were very over here to this crowd. Um, They say that they've been working for years to get this chance at the Raw tag titles. Uh, This is the promo maybe they should cut last week when they were going for the tag titles. And it's the return of Murph the Smurf that wasn't any more popular this week than it was last. Match starts, Rollins and Murphy jump them, and then... The Street Profits send them to the floor. Montez Ford goes for the Topikon hero that Rollins and Murphy catch and drive him into the barricade. Jerry Lawler says, that's the greatest thing I've ever seen. Just in case there was any doubt in your mind that this guy was actually going to watch Super Showdown on Thursday where they did the exact same thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It-
1: AOP come out, they're watching from the stage, they had the heat on Dawkins, uh, then Ford gets the tag, Ford was great in this match, um, oh, yeah. to me this was a way better performance than his match with Rollins last week, he just looked so smooth here with the hot tag, and just. I, I just thought he looked great
0: in this match. Well, even the Rollins match was good, but he was that much better here, so I don't he know looked, are-
1: He looked way more just on top of things, just more seasoned, it just felt... Everything clicked way better in in this setting for Montez Ford.
0: Like they must have um, given that dude like a bunch of notes after last week's match, because I, I I agree. I thought he looked so much better. Like they probably just told him like, jump as high as you can for as many moves as you can, because every single one of these moves takes advantage of that incredible vertical leap. You know, whether it be a crossbody or a moon salt or an enziguri, that did, did a kip up here. It all looks great, and he couples it with like this incredibly fast, intense pace here. And it was like it was as if like the guy just like like he got like an invincibility star or something for like the entire match. He was awesome. So
1: it culminates with AOP walking down the ramp. And before they can even do anything, they get ejected by the referee. And with the referee dealing with AOP, Kevin Owens runs in, stuns Rollins. AOP then chase Owens away, Dawkins nails Murphy on the floor, and there is Montez Ford to deliver the highest frog splash you've ever seen, hitting Seth Rollins and pinning him as the place went nuts. Um, listen, I <laughs> it was kind of silly the way they, they barely built up the Thursday match, but I'm so glad they did the title change in front of this crowd than last Thursday where it would have been so flat.
0: Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. So um,
1: I I I was fine with the way they got it uh, here, and man, this
0: this was the perfect crowd to do this in front of. Completely, completely. I thought this match was spectacular. It totally killed the super showdown match. Don't if you thought about going back to rewatch that show. Don't just don't watch the show. No, nothing on that show is worth watching at all. Watch this match. This match was great. I thought even like as we mentioned, Ford was incredible. Um, and I even thought all the ringside shenanigans were really well done, and I thought pretty smart. I love how the distraction that Rollins called for ended up backfiring on him. You know, you had Owen sneak in here to take advantage when the referee was distracted. And then when AOP and, and Murphy find out they chase after Owens, which leaves Rollins all by himself. Um, I thought it was like a really fun bit of like, almost like three stooges type of humor that really played like really nicely into a believable win for the street profits. I thought it was a great TV match and a great first title win for the, for the profits.
1: Rollins and Murphy are interviewed backstage. They demand a rematch at Elimination Chamber for the tag titles. So I guess automatic rematches are being phased back in. And then Seth tells Kevin Owens that he can name the time, the place, and the stipulation. And Kevin Owens will be crucified when he gets his hands on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Just in case you you weren't sure. Um
1: you know, right after WrestleMania is Easter. If these two are on SmackDown, oh, they, could,
0: they could have a good Friday match. Yep. Yep, they could do that. Um, Yeah. I, I, I really, like, I'm fine putting up with, like, these types of promos because Seth Rollins is still amazing in ring. But, man, I think these were so bad. Well, that
1: certainly was the theme of what was to come. Riddick Moss and Ricochet for the 24-7 title. The crowd is chanting, who are you, at Riddick Moss. Ricochet is bleeding from the mouth at one point here. He does this leaping Rana from the mat in a standing shooting star. I don't think they even brought up his
0: loss to Brock Lesnar. It was like, it didn't happen, and Ricochet sure didn't care. They didn't bring up, bring it up. Heyman didn't bring it up. You know, like it, that That was kind of like... Actually, most of Super Showdown was not brought up, except for... um Oldbirds win. The Undertaker.
1: Yeah. That was it.
0: You're not supposed to. That was it. The The, the rest was a dream sequence.
1: Like, eh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you to all of you that invested in your time to uh, check in the, with this show. Then they explain the conventional rules for the 24-7 title are suspended for this match where the 24-7 title is on the line.
0: Yeah. Just in case Ricochet won. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't want you to think that he's. Only one person is eligible to win the
1: 24-7 title. Wait, that's what they said? They said that the conventional rules are suspended. So the title's on the line, but only for Ricochet. Other people can't run in. Oh, never mind. This is the most, the stupidest title at this point. Oh, my God. But then Ricochet gets caught. He's thrown into the air and hit with a clothesline. And then Riddick Moss hits a neckbreaker and pins Ricochet in 8 minutes and 27 seconds.
0: So the guy loses to Brock Lesnar in 50 seconds, <laughs> and then he 90. loses 90 seconds, whatever. Then he loses though <laughs> to the 24/7 champion Riddick Moss. Like they have to be setting him up for some sort of gimmick change, right? Like maybe a heel turn. Like that's I I I can't think of any other explanation. How do you go from pushing a guy as a title contender to having him lose to the 24/7 champion, like a belt that, um. Uh, Maria Canellas has won, a belt that uh commentator on Fox has won, um, I'm trying to think, a belt that R-Truth has won 20, 30, 50 times, and Ricochet can't do it, you know? Like, I feel like this, this was such an outrageous fall from, like, where he was in less than a week that I like
1: he he's like
0: shorty g territory. Oh, worse than that. Like Shorty G would could at least like I would assume could could win the 24/7 championship. But to have him like at this bottom 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 level. I feel like it was intentionally done to make waves and to to outrage the internet to get some sort of attention. Who in their right mind looks at this guy and says, heal? Uh, well, when you've tried to push him as a babyface for as long as you have and it's not working, then that's the only direction they can go, right? It's worked for them, I mean, for basically all the failed babyface. Well, not doesn't hasn't always worked, but it's it's the direction they tend to go whenever a baby face fails. You know all that cool stuff you do off the top?
1: We're we're gonna eliminate that.
0: Well they'll still have him do it, but like he'll be um he'll he won't be smiling anymore.
1: It makes zero sense for this guy to be doing a six thirty as a heel. Uh Sammy Guevara does it. I guess, yeah, maybe. He, he is far from Sammy Guevara at this point. Yeah. But um, yeah, i that's my only explanation is that they are just trying to go rock bottom with this guy before they rehabilitate him. Unfortunately, the precedent has been there many, many, many times that once you drive a guy into the ground, unless it's some remarkable character change, uh, the audience just sees you as that low-level character. And it's just yeah. a, a lateral move from a low end baby face to a low to mid card heel. And I just, I don't know. I you just don't know, you know don't, where the sky ends up.
0: You know, I thought we were all upset about the way they treated Kofi. This like Kofi never lost to Riddick Moss. Okay. So, um, there's bottoming out. And then there's like, I don't even know what you call this. What's, what's lower than bottom. Um, this is like, like, being sucked into like a a black hole into another dimension
1: the thing is if they were like if this is his lot and like even even slightly above this this guy could be a real asset on nxt right now like if you have nothing if you have nothing but he's losing to
0: riddick moss here then i mean by all means just hold on stop 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 this is exactly the type of feeling i think they want us to feel like you know I think they want us to be this upset. Oh, you said he should be an AEW. He should be an NXT. Th- think about I'm that
1: line of it. thinking way. Let's, let's book him so badly <laughs> that everyone thinks we're absolutely out of our minds. I mean, that uh, it's, it's what they do. That's absolutely. That's, that's the definition of insanity is what you are laying
0: out right now. Yeah. That's what the, I mean. That's what's my what's the, what was that? The
1: grand plan with, with Chad Gable. Was that the plan? god let's give him this embarrassing character (laughs) and just let's let's not book him on tv for for a while how about that that's that's all people are gonna be outraged and then and then it's this big comeback let's do it in the fall okay we'll start this character in the summer and come the fall then we'll really ramp it up with shorty g and now here we are we're ready for wrestlemania and he's in that huge program so yeah i got
0: i got no explanation man where is ricochet in six months on uh, six months. Okay. So that'll be, uh, uh, what is it? Um, September? Uh, August? SummerSlam? August. SummerSlam. Okay. Uh, SummerSlam, I predict he will be, um, he'll probably be teaming with, like, um, I don't know, dude, the, um, Kevin Owen. Nah, no, that's too high. He'll probably be teaming with, uh,
1: like, if he was on SmackDown, if he was on SmackDown as opposed to Raw, he'd be a step away from 205 Live right now.
0: Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. I've never seen, like, somebody go from challenging a WWE champion to, like, losing to the guy, like, who should be on Jacked if Jacked was still around. Like, who wouldn't even make Jacked? I don't think. Riddick Moss. So, I feel like it has to be intentional. But, I mean, I might be giving them too much credit. This
1: weekend on SmackDown, Firefly Funhouse as Bray Wyatt responds to John Cena. Kyrie Sane was doing Hindu squats as Asuka was coaching her. And then they recapped the Undertaker's win over AJ Styles. And Michael Cole was the one to note that he didn't even take his hat off. Well, Byron Saxton pointed out that he didn't take his coat or jacket off to show how little he thought of AJ Styles. <laughs>
0: So that's, yeah. that's the heat, is the fully clothed Undertaker <laughs> beat AJ Styles. Is that like a secret character in the game? Fully clothed Undertaker? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: his eye patch. Yeah. Uh, the OC comes out. AJ says that the Undertaker deprived him of his trophy. And then our newest player in this big buildup is Mark Wahlberg, who gives AJ advice. <laughs> Walk away, man. Just walk away. And Tom Phillips, dude, the way this guy snuck in this plug for his Netflix movie, just seamless, just gets it in there in between the clip and AJ's response. So AJ says, now I'm getting advice from Marky Mark. So the crowd's chanting Marky Mark. He says, the undertaker is hanging on to that spotlight, but the spotlight is his. And the two of them are on a collision and
0: Alistair black comes out for their match. Yeah. Uh, it was a fine ad for Mark Wahlberg's new movie. Spencer Confidential. Yep. On, ne- on Netflix this Friday.
1: Maybe that is Mark Wahlberg's grand plan is get people like me to plug his movie in recapping his angle on Raw.
0: Clearly. Yeah.
1: Carl Anderson was the first obstacle because AJ told Alistair Black, you didn't read the fine print in the contract like the same angle we just got on Smackdown. Oh
0: yeah. With yeah. Braun pretty much, yes, right. Except um this is a gauntlet match as opposed to 3 on 1. And they told they told Braun outright that this contract. Well, like no, that one was They're both stupid, okay? They're all stupid. Like I I would hate to be somebody with any sort of legal background watching professional wrestling in the WWE cuz the amount of uh, in like the amount of insult I think they give to like people for not understanding contracts is is very offensive. These WWE contracts, like Sa- Sammy, basically changed the contract in front of Braun. I don't know what sort of legal language you would have to change on a bout agreement to add like, like what could he have possibly written in like those tw- ten like four seconds? Like, did you just draw an arrow? And wrote and next maybe maybe that's what uh Davison Figueroa
1: should have done on the bout sheet is just get a pen and write I'm allowed a two and a half pound allowance and still fight for the title after Joseph Benavides had signed for a flyweight
0: fight. I mean that's apparently I mean how yeah sure it would work, but I mean this this segment told me that Alistair Black like needs a a lawyer probably. He needs some legal
1: representation, or he read this contract in the in the room, in the yeah. dark.
0: Yeah, bad place to read.
1: Okay, so first up is Carl Anderson. He hit him with the black mass and won in 549. AJ says you still have to go through Luke Gallows. Gallows beat on him for a while and then is beating him in the corner and just doesn't stop with his stomps. So the DQ is called at 531. Anderson then joins in, it's a two-on-one attack, and they hit Aleister Black with the magic killer, as AJ says, I'm now ready for the match. So the bell rings, Black can barely stand, AJ attacks him, he tries to fight, hits him with a backbreaker, brain buster by AJ, and then sets up for the phenomenal forearm, hits it, and does the Undertaker-style pin, with Alistair Black taking the fall at 229. Is this his first loss? I was looking at this I don't think this guy has suffered A pinfall loss in over a year And I don't And I don't know if he's been pinned In a singles match on TV in WWE well, What was his loss? Oh yeah, like he, he must have lost like a He's lost on like a house show Here and there Um, He's lost some tag matches But in a singles match, taking the pin I, I can't remember him losing a singles match Since he's been in WWE or NXT
0: Well, if you had your hopes up for uh, some sort of AJ Styles, Aleister Black match, um, obviously, I think he would have been very disappointed. I I feel like... I understand why they booked it, of course, the way they did. I mean, it continues the trend of putting Aleister Black under, like, you know, uh, kind of bully situations with him as the underdog. And AJ is the guy facing the Undertaker. You have to protect him. You have to push him. I understand all that. I guess my question is, why Aleister Black in this role at all? You know? Like... I think this is the way you have to look at
1: it when it comes to especially their WrestleMania booking is that they have two columns talent that we're building and talent that is building them up. And Alistair black is in column B and Bianca Belair is in column B. And those are the people that you, they want to have people that have at least some value so that column a gets something out of beating column B. And that's why you're not going to see an R truth in this position. Um, And Alistair Black just happens to be in in column B this year. And that's where he finds himself.
0: Yeah, I guess I would have pegged certainly Alistair Black as somebody for sure that would be in column A. You know, like he seems like one of the prime candidates to be in column A when I think he could have had a wide number of people take his place here in column B. I suppose, like, I don't even mind it so much, to be honest with you. It's fine. But, like, I I just now question when Alistair Black... Will be getting his revenge because I don't think it would be before WrestleMania because AJ- well they're doing the, they are doing the rematch on Sunday they announced that a no DQ
1: match between these two so then he's going to beat AJ he shouldn't be beating AJ that would be really stupid
0: after doing this so then he would have to lose I think if he it's would, no would DQ- he would have to be not he would not be able to be successful basically. I just think it's like you're not building up Aleister Black. So I agree with you. Like
1: Black to me is like this was a guy that they were, you know, discussing as, you know, when they're looking at Brock Lesnar potential opponents. Like this was one of the guys they were considering. And it just seems that now he's they didn't seem to really have much of a backup plan for him this year. Uh, Like the only spot I see him at WrestleMania is. Like, the Battle Royal, like, that feels like his spot this year. There's no tease of anything else. Um, so this match on Sunday, like, it makes no sense to beat AJ right now. AJ, like, that was a pretty bad treatment of him last week. Like, they need to, to me, strengthen him at this point. And I guess they feel they need someone the caliber of Alistair Black to really set up AJ um, to look competitive going against The Undertaker. Yeah, I guess so. Charlie interviewed Ruby Riot. After all this time, this got like uh, 30 minutes advance notice. It's Liv Morgan versus Ruby Riot with Sarah Logan as the guest referee.
0: Yeah, you certainly feel like you know a match between two stablemates, two former best friends would would uh,
1: that that should have got a that should have got
0: Twitter treatment on Monday, I think. <laughs> like the Twitter graphic, but but you know, honestly, like we saw the way this started. We saw their backstage interactions. Like, this has not been a good program. I I feel like a TV match on short notice is like, why not just cash that in before the pay-per-view? Because I don't think this would would have been a strong enough match for its own pay-per-view. Well, one thing I want to mention
1: that I think has been a very um, good idea on Raw is that, especially tonight, th- this more so than most weeks, they announced a lot of stuff in advance from last week and over the last twenty four hours. And during the body of the show, man, they were they were putting up like graphics in the corner, like what's coming up next. And it seemed like there's a real drive to, you know, maintain people's attention and let them don't give them any excuse to leave, like keep them engaged of what's in the next segment and what's coming up. And it seems like they're they're trying that more and more now. Didn't they announce Oscar versus Shayna Baszler? They did announce that. And then li- late this afternoon, they announced she was injured. Oh, okay. All right. Sure. And switch them. All right. So Liv Morgan, Ruby Riot. Um, Riot applied the longest cravat in history. That was applied for about 20 minutes. And Logan stops Riot from attacking in the corner and is getting into Riot's face. Eventually, Riot hits a flat liner. Then, as she goes for the pin... Morgan kicks out and knocks Riot into Logan and they both get annoyed with each other and Riot starts complaining about the slow count so Riot then shoves Sarah Logan Liv goes for the roll up and Sarah Logan fast counts her at 4 minutes 38 seconds and then afterwards Logan shoves Ruby and then Nails uh, Liv Morgan nails Ruby Riot with a knee and Sarah Logan drills Liv Morgan with a knee, so it's Sarah Logan standing tall at the end. She wins the feud. She is the best one out of the riot squad.
0: And she's going to go on to WrestleMania to challenge Becky Lynch. Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Um I I I'll say, you know, I thought they managed to elevate interest in these three from perhaps like 2% to now maybe 11%? Oh. So I think, all in all, this was, like, an po- overall positive. <laughs> this was an 8% success. Yeah. Like, no, I, what I mean is, like, I think they managed to actually tell a story by the end here that made sense. You know, they certainly had to have a lot of material to draw from with these three being stable Um By the end, everybody attacking each other, sure, it was fine, but... Nobody takes these three really seriously heading into the Elimination Chamber. Um, uh... And it's a few that I just I, even after this I wonder how many legs it has. I don't think like, man, I wasn't really that impressed with Ruby's like uh, promo prior to this. It it came out fine, but it just I it was it didn't sound believable at all. Um, and I just I haven't really even been that impressed with with Live. So mm, I don't know what do you what do you expect coming out of this chamber.
1: Oh, coming out of this chamber, I mean, I, I don't see these women in any prominent spots at, at Mania. I mean, if there's a women's battle royal, that's that's their lot on that show. I just look at this chamber match. It's almost like there's these three that have a feud, and then it's kind of Shayna and Asuka have something going on. Natalia's in there just to keep everything together. It's just a very disjointed match that is kind of like the number one thing is Shayna Baszler that everyone sees winning this. Number two is it's the chamber, and therefore it's supposed to be important but beyond that, I I think it was really um, a mistake to not just combine the Raw SmackDown women into one sure. match, three and three, and you have multiple storylines, and you would have had the better match, more Contenders. potential outcomes. Like you could argue that Shayna, maybe something happens and a SmackDown woman wins. You could go a different way or just have Shayna dominate. But I think that would have been a way more compelling match.
0: Absolutely agreed. You know, I don't think... People on the level of a Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan or Sarah Logan. Honestly, I, I don't I feel like Natalia barely even makes the cut, but like you need real contenders for a match like that in order to to have like to have it be believable. And I absolutely agree. I think a combined Raw smackdown with your top six women would have been far, far better.
1: They recap the Orton Edge feud and promoting Beth Phoenix's appearance tonight for the update. No way Jose runs into Eric Rowan. He says, hey, what's in the cage? Rowan says, I've been waiting for someone to ask me that. Here it is. It's a spider.
0: This is a giant tarantula. It's like the biggest tarantula I've ever seen. But yeah, that was it. Um, That was the reveal. That was the thing that Rowan stuck his hand into that bit him several times. That was the thing that uh, several jobbers have tried to look at. Um, That was the thing that. Wasn't they knocked like, off the steps multiple times? It's fine. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Wasn't there somebody that actually looked into it prior? Um Yeah, yeah, we had someone look into it as it was, well. It was like it was somebody on the level of a Heath Slater. Some 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 jobber looked into it and was freaked out. So I guess it fulfills all those holes, but um that was
1: it. Yep. Can you go back? This this began in in November.
0: Can you pitch this story to me, okay? Do you think for a second, John, they knew what was in this cage back then? No. They probably fit, like realized this week, oh, we should probably reveal this thing. This felt like, okay,
1: we've had this cage long enough. Let's just end it. This went on for four months. <laughs> and I just don't know. That- like, yes, I, I don't think that there was any any payoff to this that was going to be satisfactory. But I go back to when this was first launched. Who was not saying that at that time? And we had to go through four months of this guy carrying this thing. And I mean, say what you want about the Dark Order, at least at the end of it, there's going to be a reveal that I'm pretty confident people are at least going to be satisfied with.
0: I agree. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, where does he go from here? I hope not having to carry a spider to the ring like like uh, Victoria had to do in TNA. Right. Didn't uh, Dustin Rhodes do the The spider thing? He had, he had a rat. He had a he rat. Had a rat. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that solves that mystery. That's it. Thanks, Eric. Kabuki Warriors
1: are out. Oscar explains she was injured. Her left wrist is all wrapped up. And Kyrie says, "I've got this." And this is Shayna Baszler's first match on Raw. And. Kyrie goes for the sliding forearm and Baszler grabs the arm for a Kimura, hits a spine buster, and then just stomps down on her left ankle. And she just annihilated this ankle. It was like a very different kind of um, heel work that we we don't often get where it was just Shayna Baszler getting to do her style. Um, but in a very lengthy match here, uh, we have Asuka just screaming from the floor as she's concerned about her teammate as Baszler is just destroying her limb here. Becky comes out at one point and just joins commentary. She's got this crown on. She she was like, fan, vi- wasn't it? Uh,
0: I I don't well, know. If it, she- no, no, it wasn't. Yeah, he's got it. I don't
1: crown. think this was like this giant thing that Jerry wouldn't have just been uh, holding around. But um, she, she
0: she called herself the king. Yes. Which um, I mean, I thought like the, the fur coat looked awesome. The sunglasses look awesome. She looks amazing in a crown. Uh, she basically was here to save the segment. I thought Jerry, Jerry should have said, is there not a nickname that you don't want to get sued
1: over? (laughs) Cause I won't hesitate, Becky. (laughs) Um, she did have a good line at the end saying that Shayna's the only catch wrestler that doesn't want to be caught. Wonderful line. That was a good line. Um, it ended with a gut wrench off the turnbuckle. Sane came back with a spear, tried the insane elbow, landing on her feet, and then she applied the Kira Futa clutch and Sane submitted at 12 minutes, 42 seconds. I really liked watching Shayna Baszler get to have like her style of match here. It's very methodical. She like has this air of like danger to her, but I could also see people that are, you know, unfamiliar with Shayna Baszler that this could have dragged for them like this was a long match and i don't know if i would have put her in such a long match here to introduce her
0: on raw i agree i like you know for my taste i love this style i th- i enjoyed it as like a good slow methodical like cash wrestling type of match but the problem i think with this one was that there wasn't a clear baby face and i didn't think there was enough escalation in the match itself so especially when you throw a commercial break in between this thing for a match of, you know, an unfamiliar, unfamiliar style to perhaps a Raw audience, I ultimately thought it went on way too long. Didn't really get the crowd's attention throughout the entire thing. Um, like, her first match on Raw, this could have been
1: three minutes with someone way below Kyrie Sane, and it's just a showcase of her murdering someone and getting over the Kirifuda clutch, and Shayna is this... Like, that to me is how I would have utilized her on her first match.
0: I mean, I think it could have been Kyrie like what? what why do you need to protect Kyrie right now? you know do we you do-
1: don't but but to your point, it's like Kyrie's been playing this heel character, and I think that there's like like why go for someone who's like one of your tag champions already when this could have just been any nameless victim for Shayna like this is just to get her ready for elimination chamber true yeah i get- I guess who else is there i mean this this could have been God, um. I mean, you probably don't want to put, like, Liv or Sarah Logan because they're on the uh, the Elimination Chamber. Um,
0: the thing is, they also did announce Asuka versus uh, Shayna, and, like, Kyrie just kind of made sense.
1: Well, once once you had to flip them, yeah, you had to put one or the other in there. But I just – like, they only announced that on Sunday. To me, it's um, – well, it, it it doesn't matter. I think they wanted to put someone who was going to be in the Elimination Chamber, and when it wasn't Asuka, they felt that Sane had to be the replacement. I get that.
0: Um, Okay, so Oscar's injured. Um, is she actually injured? First of all, resistance? I don't know. I I, I don't know, but um, but she's still supposed to be in the chamber.
1: She's still scheduled for the chamber as of now. They didn't they didn't announce anything different. Yeah, I mean, I could
0: I could see them which just which not-
1: if she's if she happened to be out, I think they would just flip sane in there.
0: Yeah, Ky- and Kyra's not would- in the match. I don't think they'd make her make they'd make her tap out here, but anyway, okay, whatever. Like I could see them basically wanting to save off like Shayna versus Oscar by creating some sort of injury, but yeah, we'll see. Schreiber, Sarah Schreiber spoke to Rey Mysterio
1: and Umberto Carrillo, and then we had Andrade and Angel Garza against Rey Mysterio, Umberto Carrillo. and Angel Garza went into the crowd and gave a kiss to this elderly woman who's awesome. supposed to boo this guy. It's like going up to this, like, grandmother and, like, giving her a kiss on the cheek.
0: What a gentleman. Yeah, I... I yeah. I, this I was, was sure. this was not Dustin Rhodes, either. No, it was not. It was blowing a kiss, yeah.
1: So, we start this match, and uh, Carrillo is the one to rip off Angel Garza's pants for him. And then from there... Carrillo showcased some of his dives with a a twisting one to the floor. They went through several commercial breaks in this. Um, One of the highlights was Ray getting this hot tag and doing this awesome sequence with Andrade with a -a tilt-a-whirl head scissors and a swinging DDT. Somewhere in all this, Andrade got cut by the eyebrow and was bleeding. Um, Carrillo came off the top and landed on the barricade. That sent up the second commercial break. Garza stopped a 619 kneeing Ray in the ribs. Uh, Zelina Vega was losing her mind on the floor. Um, She was really great here at ringside. And a lot of it was Andrade and Garza double teaming together. A lot of chemistry between the two. The crowd booed the three amigos when Andrade went to deliver them onto Ray. And then Humberto hits this incredible missile dropkick. Uh, then Andrade and Garza get set up on the rope, take a double 619. There's a head scissors to Garza on the floor, setting up Carrillo for the top rope moonsault onto Andrade. And they win in 19 minutes and 11 seconds. Really entertaining match. And I think that the fact that it was Andrade to take the pinfall here instead of Angel Garza, I think that would suggest that Garza's is here to stay. And I, I
0: really like this pairing with Andrade. It suggests he's here to stay. It also suggests that Angel Garza is now the A member of the team instead of Andrade. Uh, he lost here. He was treated like nothing at Super Showdown. Um, so,
1: in, in fairness, all the champions except for Riddick Moss got pinned on this show. So, I
0: mean, that's that's to be expected. Oh, yeah. He's the champion. I forgot that. Okay, <laughs> Of course. Well, I mean, he hasn't been around in 30 days. But anyway, I also love the team of Andrade and Angel Garza. These two are fantastic together. They look great with matching blue tights. Uh, Everybody in this match was tremendous, and but I especially loved the, how the focus of the match, especially the post-match, was entirely on Humberto Carrillo yes. finally getting a big win over this like evil, you know, uh, Zelina's uh, uh, people basically. So I, I I think this nucleus of like Mexican stars they have on Raw are just fantastic together in almost any combination. So I'll happily accept like some some like you know match between these four like for a while to come. Do you think any of them will get a spot on Mania itself? I could see these four having something.
1: Um, I hope it's not a case that these four are just like odd men out um, and, and get into that battle royal. I, I hope that they get something. They they certainly should. Like Ray's had a fantastic year. These are all to me guys that you want to feature in in some you know. I wouldn't say prominent spot at WrestleMania, but but something of their own. And maybe um, some others get mixed in there, but I, I hope these four have, have something
0: together. You can break up often like either team here into a tag team.
1: Yeah. I, I really it like Andrade and, and Garza. Like they, they, to me, would be stronger together right now than, than apart. And and I think Umberto gained a lot by being paired with, with Ray here. I mean, he got to, to shine and Ray is just fantastic in these uh, settings. He's
0: also his mouthpiece.
1: Yes, yes, and he needs that. Uh, so this is where they officially announced Street Profits, Rollins, and Murphy for Elimination Chamber, along with the no-DQ match between AJ and Alistair Black. And that takes us to the final segment with Beth Phoenix coming out for a medical update on her husband, Edge. But before she can reveal the update, Randy Orton comes out. He walks slowly to the ring. He attempts to hug her and gets stopped then he offers his hand and is turned down and Beth calls him a son of a bitch for what he did to her husband. She explains that she's a wife and a mother to their children who deserve their father. And this crowd, they're chanting. I won't say all of them, but enough of them. We're chanting RKO here. Heartless. Well, that's what we all expected. Orton says it's a certainty that after what he did to edge, He's never going to wrestle again, but he owes Beth an explanation, and he says that in 1999, sometime in the fall, WWE had a live event in St. Louis, October 24th, for those curious, Hmm. and Randy was taken to the arena by his dad, Cowboy Bob, to meet with Tony Gurria, Jack Lanza. And some others, because Randy, at the age of 19, was looking to break into the business. And he says he was in awe of all the legends that were there. But it was Edge who walked up to his father, shaking his hand and telling Cowboy Bob what a big fan of his he was and how he was one of the reasons he got into wrestling. And Edge looked at Randy that day in 1999, shook Randy's hand and told him, good luck. Maybe one day we'll get to work together in that ring. And years later... They were main eventing for the Intercontinental title, stealing the show, and then later formed Rated RKO. And then, after that, Randy got too close to the sun, he said. He hit a rough patch. He made some poor life choices. And I dug a hole so deep, not deep enough for WWE cameras to not be able to film me, but still a deep hole. Edge reached down into that hole, pulled me out, saved my life. There was more to life, I learned. And I became a good father, a good husband, and I needed to return the favor and save Edge's life. And he knew that night after the Royal Rumble, after Edge's pop he got at the Rumble, that he thought he was going to come back for good and start competing regularly. Well, Randy knew better and said, I was going to make a name for myself by putting him in a wheelchair in order for Beth to have a husband and a children to their father. This was some very twisted logic of how he was going to deliver a father to his family by way of breaking his neck. He said he did this because he loves Edge, he loves Beth, and he loves their children. Randy then says that it's actually your fault, Beth. You're an enabler. Edge is a junkie for the roar of the crowd, and you did nothing to stop him. I love your children, Ruby and Lyric and Edge. More than you ever could. And Beth is just staring a hole down his eyes, slaps Randy, and Randy just stares at her. And then he mouths the words, bitch. And Beth goes to kick him, gets hit with an RKO, and everyone's stunned here. Byron Saxton, who was uh, among the keys to this segment, just calls Randy a son of a bitch. As Randy leaves, the trainers come out, Ray is out there, Apollo Crews, Hawkins, Ryder, R-Truth, and they're tending to Beth, and the show just ends on this down note after Beth has been destroyed by Randy. One of the best performances of Randy Orton's life.
0: Uh, I I thought this was, like, I hadn't heard a promo that wasn't about a guy's, like, retirement or his uh recovery from cancer or any sort of real life circumstance that felt this real in forever. Uh and I'm including like AEW. I thought this was this is my early candidate for promo of the year. This was fucking incredible. Beth Phoenix was incredible. Randy Orton, like I have no words. You know, we waited I have some words. We waited weeks to hear <laughs> the reason. And like we talked about with, with Eric Rowan, anytime WWE teases something like that. <laughs> Ninety nine percent of the time it's a total letdown. It either doesn't make sense or it's a stupid out of nowhere type of thing, like you know, uh giant tarantula or Vince as the higher power or Aleister Black like <laughs> fucking uh finally getting sick of knocking on his door. Like it they 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 throw out teases and they don't deliver. This was an explanation from Eddie Orton that not only made sense, but it was like it was a Thanos level type of reasoning from a villain that still lets you think the person was being completely illogical in how they were going about it. But you also understand their motivation. I thought the writing was spectacular. The delivery was spectacular. The acting was spectacular from both of these two. And I think the way this segment ended was just to me, a level of like sophistication that WWE main roster rarely, rarely treats its audience with. Um, I thought there was a lot of great subtext here, you know, Beth Phoenix, from the moment Randy Orton came into the ring, obviously, my interpretation is that she knew that she was going to get RKO'd. Anytime anybody steps within, like, you know, uh, breathing distance of Randy Orton, they know that they're going to get RKO'd. But, like, despite all that, Beth had to stick in the ring, she had to listen to this explanation, and then she had to get her shot in, because she needed to slap Randy. She needed to kick him in the gut. And she took the RKO anyway. But it, it was just like, even like the 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 mouthing of bitch like that, that's just like next level stuff that I I've not come to expect anymore from WWE TV.
1: I, I love so much that he didn't say into the microphone. Like it oh was there God. for you to just read his lips. Of course, like and how, it was so much more impactful.
0: Dude, how often like do we talk about WWE TV just like uh, having no taste for subtlety at all? But that's not the case with this Randy Orton story. Everything they've done, and everything Randy Orton's done has been just like next level and 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 feels like I'm I'm being presented professional wrestling as an adult. Um I this was so good. This was this was like this was like part of the reason why like weeks after weeks of bad TV I still keep coming back to Raw because when Raw on the big stage delivers like stuff that's this good, it's really damn good. So, man, I can't say enough great things about it.
1: It was an awesome segment. Randy Orton has been the star of the WrestleMania buildup. Like Without to me, doubt. this has been by, by leaps and bounds. Like they've, they've done very good with, with drew and the buildup for Brock. Uh, but this to me has been by, by far the best program leading into WrestleMania. Randy Orton is at, at a level that it's just so clear when he's like dialed in and really engaged in something. And, I think the reason that this felt real was because I bet you a lot of this stuff that he brought up was was legit, too, about this meeting in in St. Louis in 1999, like whether he took some creative license, I bet you there was an air of legitimacy to all of this. I don't even doubt that that probably happened at this legit. There was a house show in St. Louis that Edge
0: was on. I could totally see this happening it's it's it, you ground the promo in reality and then you take it into whatever fantasy you want to, because by that point the crowd's with you um and he did that masterfully. Let me ask you who who's your if you had to like you know make your early candidates for like best on the mic 2020, who are they right now for you for this year, my short list
1: uh, Randy orton is on that list Cody, David Starr for
0: 2020.
1: Yeah, he just did this great sit down interview for the John Moxley match that was was very good. I gotta check uh, that out. Um, those would be my three right now. You like I, Cody I, I or, I'm Cody or Moxley. Cody, Cody, I put on there. I agree with that. I mean, Jer- Jericho and Moxley have been uh, good. Um, Jericho to me hasn't done like that that big promo yet this year, like these these few months in.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, he he'd, he'd probably be in there as well. But MJF is fantastic, but it's like not the type of like, mm, kind of like realness that I've seen from him yet. Like at least not on this level. Like yeah. of of the I haven't seen the David Starr thing yet, so I can't say. But I would put this Randy Randy Orton over even what I've seen from Cody this year. Th-
1: this I, was like, ahead of the song. the OT. Th- th- this was better than the OTT video today. Um, okay. But in terms of best promos this year, like uh what comes to mind is this and the Cody promo after the Steel Cage match. Those are the ones that come to mind immediately.
0: Yeah, I fucking love this. And I haven't loved like any type of talking segment on Raw that wasn't about a guy's real retirement or Roman coming back from cancer or anything like that in a long, long time. So this was I was floored by it. I also love like the the, the attention to detail they had at the end of all the people checking on on Beth. Like it was Zach Hawkins, it was... Uh, uh, sorry, Zach Ryder, Kurt Zach, Zach Hawkins, it was Rey Mysterio, it was Devon, um, it was Natty, like people that, that were closest to Edge that came out. Yeah, this was... It was a fantastic segment.
1: Um, Beth has to be off NXT this week. I will go so far. Um, I know that it... Um, you know, the... Uh, there's been talk about, like, Beth and Natalia having a match at WrestleMania. I don't think she... I don't think she should be in a match at WrestleMania. I think she's so attached to this angle and I don't think she should be, you know, in a separate program leading into into mania. Like I think she's so tied to this and should be selling this angle for weeks with this RKO. What what, what
0: was the what was that rumor? Beth Beth and Natalia in a tag team match?
1: I think that it was um uh, Dave Dave had like the card, at least what what he had heard with like the Kabuki Warriors against Natalia and Beth Phoenix being discussed. Okay. And I and, and that may be the plan. I hope that... I just think that it's...
0: Well, that is is so that, like,
1: tied to this. She's way more effective to just be sitting in the crowd or to come out after the match with Edge. Like, that right. to me is... Her role in this is... Like, she is so tied now to this angle. And yeah, I think perhaps. she should be off NXT like, easily for two
0: weeks. Well, the other the thing is she she's not the one with the pre-existing neck injury, right? Like, she... She is still a competitor, and she could take an RKO, and I think come back in a week. I would believe, I would be fine with that. You know, Edge had the pre-existing neck injury. Um, Matt had his neck crushed inside a chair multiple times.
1: But, but to do that, like, yes, yeah, we've seen people take an RKO. The heat for this has to be the effects of this RKO that it did something. It damaged Beth it did in some do way. Something.
0: It did do something. The man attacked your wife. That's fucking permanent. Okay, like, but you you're not
1: doing your story justice to just have her come back Wednesday and she's doing commentary. Like you have to not Wednesday.
0: I would I would definitely keep her off this Wednesday, but to bring her back in a week, I I think that's fine personally. Well, definitely this week, she should be off. We'll see. We'll see. Actually,
1: um, and we never got the update on Edge. I thought that was going to be the announcement that he's coming back next week, but that's it. How do you uh? do you think they promote edge on next week's raw or that it's just like he's advertised locally he's expected to be on the show next week
0: yeah i actually i was surprised that they i mean i understand after seeing the the segment why they didn't advertise it i imagine you'll probably get an announcement like over the weekend because it's out there and they probably want to like attract viewers
1: i mean it makes sense that you would say like edge is coming to confront randy on on raw Mm -hmm. um yeah, so that looks to be what's what's set up for next week. So I uh, definitely highly recommend uh, this closing segment to Raw if you uh, happen to miss it. So let's go on over to uh, the forum, forum.postwrestling.com, and we'll go into the feedback here tonight. On a scale of 1 to 10, you gave the show a 6.45. And we start things off with Paul from New Jersey. The now or never tagline completely telegraphed the street profits win from challenging for the most important championship of all of wrestling to losing a 24 seven title match to Rick Moss. Ricochet is truly a riches to rags story bait and switch city in the BK. You think you're going on a date with a good looking soccer mom, but you end up with a hot Carl on your chest. AJ looked like a tool and Alistair Black loses his first match on the main roster. Who exactly did this help? Riot powers explode angle, died a death in front of this crowd and Kyrie's tap was bad. I tapped out because I tapped out after that match. So glad I did not
0: attend live. All right. We got Andrew from Cape Breton who says spider cage, spider cage shown to Jose while backstage built for months to our dismay. At least he's not ricochet. Look out. That was a spider cage. And that's your out Brandon for your clip. That's it. I don't. I'm not reading the rest. I can't stand this guy.
1: I'm so glad you took that one and not me. Chris from Pennsylvania. This show started and ended hot with a weak second hour holding it back. McIntyre was so over tonight. I really worry about the many things they can that can kill his momentum with four more Raws. I mean, they've been pretty. They've been doing pretty well with him. I think some optimism is required. Third hour tag was a lot of fun, and the Street Profits got a huge reaction despite some questionable build over the last few months. Negatives would be whatever the hell they're doing with Ricochet
0: and a bit of a dull Kyrie-Shayna match. 6.5 out of 10. Nas from NLIC live at the Barclays Center. The turnout surprised me given the fears of the coronavirus hitting the U.S. I bet the show was way better live than on TV. At least the ending segment was great, though admittedly I wish they hadn't made Beth look so weak. Maybe it was just me, 7 out of 10. Carl from Cambridge. Raw has been a great show to sit through
1: lately. It must be said, cast your minds back to about a year ago. Their roster back then was severely lacking that they could barely fill a three hour raw. They've done a great job at addressing these issues, particularly with the male talent. Look at the level in that tag match alone. Mysterio, Humberto, Andrade Garza. It's absolutely stacked now. It's much better. It's a much better show than what SmackDown is in my opinion. And what a reaction the street profits got for the title change. Keep Montez Ford in this division for another year. I'd say, and then put the machine behind him. Absolute star.
0: It's very true. I mean, like, look, you know, we've we've talked about um, what a streak I think AEW is on. I would very much at this point classify Raw. Not to be at that same level, but it's it's been a number of very good shows and certainly a vast improvement from, I think, where it was several months ago. So, yeah, Raw's been great lately. Alex from Portland says, That's got to be Randy's best promo ever. The build-up for the RKO was phenomenal. Nobody but Randy could pull that off. I really hope a giant spider isn't the actual reveal for Rowan, but I can't see myself caring about it being something else. This feels typical WWE: build something up for months, but have the re- reveal come across like it was thought about earlier on in the day. Serious question: Was that the original idea that the writers even have a reveal in mind? This company. Question with Ray on and- Do you know the answer, John? If, if that was the- I, I don't know the answer. I. I couldn't imagine in November
1: saying, hey, giant spider, but we got to make them wait for it. But again, like what what could have been like, there was no great reveal to this from day one. Then why do like, why do it? That would be my question. It's like, what, what did this ultimately achieve? Like, yes, people are naturally going to be curious what's in this thing. That's human nature, but you need to have something that's worth the wait. And I don't think they were ever going to have something that would satisfy people. I mean, um, what, Marty Skrull was going to climb out of this? I mean, there was nothing that was going to satisfy people.
0: Yeah. Uh, he says, with Andrade, Garza, Ray, and Kirill all being part of a feud with each other over the past few months, do you think the four of them would be any more over collectively if instead they formed a faction? Mm, I, I don't think so. I kind of like them being separate
1: teams right now. I, I do like the Andrade-Garza uh, pairing it's a part of that as well.
0: You have Andrade who I think at the at the moment is a very natural heel. I would say Angel Garza right now is is excellent as a heel as well. I don't see the same for Humberto Carrillo or Rey Mysterio, so I don't see how that would necessarily work. All right, let's go to Brian from New York.
1: Between SmackDown and tonight, we have four hot matches at the top of the Mania card. When he's on, there's no one like Randy Orton on this planet. The best villains truly believe they're the hero and the detailed explanation tonight and the execution down to the RKO hit the spot. They've set up Edge's big return to be a phenomenal moment, and there's not much more they can do until then. The opening segment was also extremely well done. Heyman out there calling McIntyre's uh, rumble moment a fluke, and putting him down had all the makings of a ricochet conclusion if there wasn't an equal response. Luckily tonight... They were ready to give Drew that quite a response from the Barclays crowd to the second and third Claymores. They've done a great job getting McIntyre to the main event level with both these feuds. It'll be tricky to keep the momentum going over the last four weeks. But for tonight, they're certainly on the right path.
0: Noah from Vaughn says one thing that stuck out all night all night was the atmosphere of the show or lack thereof. As someone that's watching AEW regularly and Ron frequently, it's so jarring tuning in and having the crowd be so quiet for most of the show. Just curious how much of an impact the crowd is for you guys when watching these shows, because for me, I feel that it really impacts my enjoyment of the show. I mean, they, they popped really big for
1: Drew. They got really into the Street Profits winning the tag titles. I mean, the main segment, that's not a segment that's designed to get a big pop at the end of it. It would have actually ruined it to me if they all went crazy for the RKO um, and didn't have sympathy for Beth. I thought the subdued reaction actually enhanced that that moment at the end, but at the end of the day, it's a three-hour show, and you're always going to have the lulls in Raw, and there was certainly a, a number of them on on this show. I hardly thought this was a perfect show, but um,
0: those three think, segments
1: in particular were were strong.
0: I didn't think the crowd was necessarily bad on the show at all. Outside.
1: No, I thought like, they were pretty, like, you
0: know, into the things you would expect them to be. Yeah. They were outside of like Shayna Kyrie Because it went too long, I felt like they reacted pretty well to everything. Actually, like. You know, I felt like the crowd wasn't, didn't sound that great for a lot of AEW Revolution. When I thought like they would have reacted way bigger for like something like Cody MJF. And I have heard from, from, uh, from, from like live accounts who have said that like the atmosphere was incredible all so long. For some reason, that didn't necessarily come across to me during some of those matches outside of that tag team match. After, I mean, after that tag team match and then at beyond like Orange Cassidy and Pack, like I didn't feel that same level of heat for, uh, Cody MJF that I was expecting, nor for me the main event. But I mean that that could just be my ears. Um, but I thought I thought the crowd reacted as perhaps like you know as I would have expected for Ron. At least not to the point that I would have critiqued uh, critiqued it for being a quiet thing. I rewatched that tag match uh, over the weekend. Me too. It was the first thing I did after going back home. Like and I never do that. Neither like, do I.
1: I. Yeah. I that match is even better the second time. Yes, yes, because it's. Man, it's really hard when we're doing all these like notes and stuff. Like, there, there's just stuff I miss, and it's uh, uh, watching it without having like anything to have to jot down and stuff. I I enjoyed it that much more, and I loved it on the first viewing. Um, it, it really is one one of the. It, it's probably one or two for me this year in terms of match of the year. It's one for me right now. Yeah, like I I had had um, Okada and Ibushi at the top of my list uh, Mm -hmm. going into that. And that there's some
0: recency bias going on here too. I mean, it was just the weekend. So ask us in December.
1: Yeah, we'll see. It was a phenomenal match. Um, Let's go on to uh, Stu from Liverpool. He says that I enjoyed based on what others have written. uh, It would be polite to call some of the other offerings a mixed bag. Beth and Randy were fantastic in their roles. When you get Orton like this, it's compelling TV. And while Beth was never the worst on the mic during her full-time roster days, she has performed on commentary. You can tell she's added an extra element to her speaking performances. Credit where credit is due for WWE here. Seemingly the best segment is the one that people will go away and remember. No doubt something they've been targeting recently.
0: Anyway. Finally, we're going to add him from the street who simply says, I loved how Beth did not do her pose as she came down to the ring. <laughs> that I... Absolutely. I'm going to give them credit for because,
1: you know, it was really silly last week on Wednesday was when Charlotte Flair beats Bianca Belair and then she continues the attack on Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley comes out and she comes out with like this urgency and you like that. She's coming to help Bianca, but she has to pause in her tracks to do her top
0: of the ramp. Uh, pose the stomp Ugh. and then comes down to no, a, as a result in that time Charlotte was like oh shit Rhea Ripley's there I better pin Bianca Belair and Charlotte fucking won because of that it so- looked so so silly <laughs> so stupid so uh, thank you Adam for bringing that up also that's that's a note to Ricochet as, or, or what's his name uh, Aleister Black from last week too Remember the guy was beaten half to death but still had to come in sit cross-legged <laughs> but that type of stuff is really stupid So I'm glad Beth didn't do it. All right. Well, that brings
1: an end to the show, everybody. So uh, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you downloading the show. You can leave us an iTunes review if you so care to. Yes, you can. Wayne and I are going to be back Tuesday night. It's uh, PWG 11 from July 2014. It's available on the uh, High Spots Wrestling Network if you go back into their archive and – we look forward to chatting about that for all the members of the post wrestling cafe. Uh, so that's it way. You have the final word.
0: Um, let me think about a good final word, bitch.